Until the consummation of the age. Sometimes in Matthew, the Lord speaks of the end of the age. At other times, the consummation of the age. Both expressions refer to the last three and a half years of this present age, the age of grace. But the word consummation conveys the thought of a process that will issue in completion and fulfillment. We pointed out that the age of grace, which is the age of the church, is also the age of mystery. The process that will reach its consummation is essentially related to the mystery of God's economy, to Christ in us, the hope of glory, to Christ building himself into our being, to produce the church as the mystery of Christ, consummating in the great mystery Christ and the church. This process is inward, it's spiritual, it is organic, and it is divine and mystical. Countless believers, and by believers I mean genuine, redeemed, regenerated children of God, have no grasp of the mystery of God's economy and the process of God's economy. Everything with these dear ones is outward. And when they study prophecy, perhaps motivated by curiosity, also everything is outward. They like to know about the beasts, and about so many unusual things. But it's a mistake to isolate the study of prophecy from the mystery of God's economy. In such a case, the study of prophecy becomes a distraction from the process of God's economy that is heading toward its consummation and then ironically those who study the prophecy the most are among the least prepared for the Lord's coming because the preparation does not consist in knowing so many prophetic details but in being in the hidden intrinsic development of God's economy to build up the body of Christ as his corporate expression. We do not know how long this age of mystery will last. We know from Revelation 10:7 that there will be a proclamation, the mystery of God is finished. 
that will mark the end of the age of mystery and the completion of the mystery of God's economy, at least through the overcomers in the churches. Then the last three and a half years begins. Immediately prior to that will be the rapture of the man-child and of the first fruits. And these will be the dispensational instrument to cause Satan to be cast down to the earth. When he and his angels are cast down to the earth, Antichrist will be manifested, the great tribulation will begin. During this three and a half years, the first thing that happens on the positive side is that the bride meets the bridegroom. And the wedding feast begins. So in quick succession, there will be the bride, the army, the stone, and the mountain. The bride to satisfy the Lord and bring him rest in love. The army to deal with the armies of the enemy. The stone to eliminate human government. And the mountain to bring forth the kingdom in glorious manifestation. I have no intention of alarming anyone. Certainly no intention of wrecking the life plans of any young person. We should live our lives in a normal way. But while we are living our lives in a normal way, whatever normal way may be, we should not do so in ignorance. And we should not suppose things will go on and on and never change. We are living in a particular dispensation or age which is not eternal and which is reaching its consummation. And as we approach the consummation of the age, everything is intensified from the enemy and from the triune God himself. So we would be most unwise to be drunken like the worldlings, to have no awareness of what God is doing and of where we are historically in the unfolding of his economy. Rather, we should be enlightened by the prophetic word and we should have increasingly the day star, the morning star, rising in our hearts. Now yesterday, we to some extent considered the body, the bride, and the army. I believe we were freshly impressed with the verses in Daniel chapter 2. That is an astounding uh, 
vision given in a dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And the part that most concerns us is the stone. The stone is cut without hands. And the stone strikes the image in the days of the ten kings. In order to understand this, we need to go to the book of Revelation, chapter 17. And there we read of ten kings. We understand to be leaders in the revived Roman Empire in Europe. They give their authority to the beasts. And these ten kings make war with the Lamb. What we have here is not only an army opposing God. We have the ultimate expression of human government in defiance of God. The fact that human government could conduct itself in such a rebellious way helps us see that human government presents a problem to God. But we need to have a clear and balanced view so we don't become improper in our attitude and behavior in our, our present situation. So let's sketch a little bit. Are you clear when human government was established? It was established after the flood. When man was first created, and I expect we'll come back to this this afternoon from the standpoint of the kingdom, when man was first created, he was under the direct rule of God, known by the intuition in his spirit. After sin came in, man fell under the rule of conscience. So from Genesis 3 until after the flood in Genesis 9, the human beings on the earth supposedly lived according to their conscience, which represented God in them. The vast majority did not. There was no government on the earth so increasingly the earth was filled with violence. There's no restraint. Whoever was the strongest and the most powerful prevailed. There was a minority line, the descendants of Seth, that called upon the Lord, that walked with God, and that offered the sacrifices as required by God and as observed by Abel. But human society generally was beyond recovery. So God determined to blot out the human race with the exception of Noah and his family. 
after Noah and his family emerged from the ark, God established a covenant with him. And then he said this, if anyone sheds human blood, by man will his blood be shed. Sounds like capital punishment carried out by human government and that's what it is. This was the establishment of human government, the rule of man over man in some way. If there were no government on the earth, <clears throat> it would, there would be chaos. That's already been proved. There would be chaos. And thus no way for God's chosen ones to live to carry out God's economy. So to maintain a degree of order on the earth, there must be government. And according to Romans 13, whatever government we're under, we respect that as representing God's authority as instituted by God. We pay our taxes. Maybe not joyfully, but we pay them. We do it righteously. And so when we speak now about the smashing of human government, this is not a counsel to revolution. We're not sending you to the continent to foment revolutions. Europe saw a revolution in 1789 and 1848 in 1968, many of us were coming to maturity then. Europe was engulfed in all kinds of political uprisings. So we, we are not stirring up any anti-government spirit and attitude. This would be contrary to the teaching of the New Testament. So the Lord ordained human government as a necessity. But look at what happened in Genesis. Once you have a system where properly man can rule over man, then it's possible for strong rulers to organize vast numbers of people into a unit. And you have signs of this with the mention of Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10 who was a mighty hunter before the Lord. A powerful person. So he established Nineveh and Babel. By the time we reach Genesis 11 all of humanity on the earth are one unit under some form of government. On the one hand, there's order versus the chaos in Genesis 6. I wouldn't say chaos has advantages, but 
if I use the word benefit, one benefit would be you can't organize all of society. There's no way to do it. It's fragmented. But with the establishment of government, and if that government is powerful, then everyone can be subjugated and molded into some kind of collective unit. This made it possible for there to be universal collective rebellion against God at Babel. The people were one. They all spoke one language. They were under one government. And God himself acknowledged nothing will be impossible to them. If we let this go, they will act defiantly without any kind of restraint. They said, let us build a tower to reach heaven. Let us build a city. Let us make a name for ourselves. So human government was necessary. But then human government, after it was formed, rebelled against God. And exalts man. And if we are enlightened by Daniel chapter 7, we will see that human governments are bestial. You know I'm an American citizen. I have to say of the politics and the government in the U.S., it's animalistic. It's bestial. It's bestial. It's wild. It's untamed. And so it is with every kind of government in its essence. So the Lord, through the thousands of years of history, must allow human government to remain so that there is some amount of peace to carry out his economy. It's very clear from the words spoken to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2, the God of the heavens appointed Nebuchadnezzar to rule. And in chapter 4 of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that lesson personally, that the heavens rule. So God has been sovereign over the rising and falling of human governments for his purpose. Consider, Alexander the Great spread Koine Greek throughout the Mediterranean world. That became the language of the New Testament. Then the Roman Empire, with its system of roads, and its principles of government produced a situation in the first century in particular that was most advantageous for the spreading of the gospel. And Paul's Roman citizenship was a great benefit to him. When they found out he was a, Ro a Roman, they temporarily stopped beating on him. It's quite serious. Not everyone 
who lived there was a Roman citizen. And I'm not trying to flatter anyone, but it's no accident that in 1588 a lot of boats sank. The Armada, right, that set sail from Portugal, it's no accident. If that had not happened, the spread of Catholicism would have been unbridled. And the Lord raised up Great Britain for his interests, especially as evidenced in the 19th century with the missionary movement and with the brethren and so many prominent uh, spiritual leaders and activities. Then we have to say in the same principle, I'm not chauvinistic, God raised up the United States for his recovery. We have to acknowledge that. But there's a particular prophetic significance to Europe. And according to the prophecies, there will be some kind of revival of the Roman Empire, the spirit of which has never died. It will involve countries in the Mediterranean world. It will involve areas of the former Roman Empire. What it will look like, we'll have to wait and see. I don't feel it's wise to equate it with the European Union. We'll just, we'll just have to see. We don't need to speculate. But eventually there will emerge in the revived Roman Empire in Europe the ultimate expression of human government and its defiance of God. And I'm pretty sure if the Constitution is ever approved for the European Union, there won't be any thought of God in it. It will be ungodly post-Christian. And economically, it will be powerful. Presently, the military may not be that strong, but eventually it will uh, be quite formidable. And it's likely that the majority of us in this room will live to see, if not the consummation, at least the acceleration of the whole political situation in the world. God can easily produce a situation where the man who will be the Antichrist is reaching maturity. He can easily cause something to happen to clear the Temple Mount. And in a matter of a few years, the temple could be rebuilt. That, I would say, is easy. It's outward. But we have the confidence to assert that God will not do that outwardly until there's something that matches it intrinsically. 
concerning his economy and his recovery. The Lord is not going to come back simply because the temple is rebuilt and the man of lawlessness is prancing around persecuting his people. There must be the bride prepared. The preparation of the bride is through the building up of the body of Christ. The building up of the body of Christ universally and organically in the local churches is the focal point of God's move in his recovery today. If you want to actually be in the Lord's recovery, you need to be in this. I visited some parts of the earth and some of the most active persons are in the recovery of 40 years ago. They do not know what today's recovery is. One definition Brother Lee gave in 1994 in the practical points concerning blending is that the Lord's recovery is to build up Zion which is the reality of the body of Christ. That's the recovery. If someone is only establishing local assemblies without the view of building up the body, that person is far, far behind. Maybe you're back in 1922. You do not know what is the Lord's burden in and for his recovery today. It is to build up the body which will be the preparation of the bride. When the bride is ready, the bridegroom comes. When the bride is ready, she's raptured. Then, three and a half years later, the bride becomes the army. And almost simultaneously, the army becomes the stone the stone, once it smashes, the image symbolizing human government becomes a great mountain filling the whole earth. In rapid succession over about three and a half years, there will be these different aspects of the dispensational instrument in function. The bride to satisfy Christ. The army to deal with the enemy the stone to deal with human government, the mountain to bring in the kingdom. I share this with the full assurance of faith that this is the truth, that this will happen, and that it's near. I can't define near. Practically speaking, I would say near is that it's foreseeable. You don't have the sense it's two or three hundred years away. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. And I don't think it is. So that we should be enlightened by this concerning our human and spiritual living. 
this will not make us extreme and abnormal in our living to women who are grinding, to men who are in the field. We go on in a proper human way. Keep working on your dissertation. The rapture may come before you're hooded. You get, but keep working on it. If you fall in love, get married. Have a family. This is not counsel to withdraw from ordinary human life. It is counsel to live your human life, Christian life, and church life under the light of this vision. So we have seen, I believe, the necessity of human government. Without it, we, we cannot live. How, how could we live? How could we meet? Whenever the Lord wanted to have a major move, He rearranged the world situation to facilitate that. When it was time to rebuild the temple, Bye-bye, Babylon. Here comes the Medo-Persian Empire. And Cyrus becomes the servant of the Lord to issue a decree to go to Jerusalem to build. In the late 1980s, there was a phenomenal, unexpected, amazing dissolution of the Soviet Union. How did it happen? Who can explain, how did it happen? I know one female professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And she was teaching a course on this. and She's from Hungary originally. No explanation. Well, the heavens made a decision. The Berlin Wall is coming down. Berlin will be united. East and West Germany will be open. The Soviet Union will dissolve. And the Lord's recovery is going to Russia in 1991. Amen. The heavens took this remarkable action to rearrange the world situation. And if you look at the history of the 20th century in broad outline, a lot of the realignment has involved Europe. After World War I, the collapse of the right? Habsburg Empire, Austro-Hungarian Empire, the emergence of new countries. Same thing after World War II, and then eventually Israel, reformed as a nation, now in the late 1980s. So there's much precedent for divine reconfiguration of the geopolitical landscape in Europe for the sake of his move. So here we are under this light. I pointed out yesterday 
it wasn't the time to develop it. Uh, we're reaching the time. That human government cannot coexist with the manifestation of the kingdom. It's impossible. The Bible refers to the present situation in the world as man's day. Man's day. That's the day man decides. That's the time when man judges. But man's day is rapidly coming to an end. Then it will be the Lord's day and the Lord will judge. Why is human government incompatible with the manifestation of the kingdom? It's because human government has been infiltrated with the element of Satan. Look at Isaiah 14. Outwardly, the prophet is addressing the ruler of Babylon. But intrinsically, he's exposing the origin of Satan's rebellion. That Satan is identified virtually with Babylon. In the next illustration, I realize that certain saints would prefer that I not use it, but... I don't say sorry, there's no apology for being true to the word. You have the same principle in Ezekiel 26 through 28 with Tyre. A commercial entity. Satan has infiltrated commerce in a profound way. And a few years ago, we tried to address this in the vision of the ephah vessel, based on Zechariah chapter 5, where the vessel containing the evil woman will be sent back to Babylon. But my point is, the Bible clearly indicates the identification of Satan with certain governments in particular. I won't say with everyone. But in principle, all human government exalts man, rebels against God, and worships idols. How can the kingdom of God coexist with this? It's impossible. But I'm speaking carefully. The kingdom of God in mystery the kingdom of God in its hidden reality can and does exist within human government. Here we are. To some degree at least in the reality of the kingdom living respectively under the governments of the countries where we reside. But when there is manifestation when the king actually appears on the earth, the other rulers cannot go on. 
It's one or the other. The enemy, to say the least, is angered by the thought that he will be dislodged, that his system will be smashed. But every remnant of it will be obliterated, especially in its political and commercial forms. No money in the kingdom. That's Luke 16. Mammon will fail. That means it will be no more. Use it wisely now because it's not going to be around. The Lord will own all the property and he will rule over the whole earth. Because human government and the kingdom of God in manifestation cannot coexist before the kingdom is manifested, human government must be crushed. The armies of the enemy are defeated by the Lord with his armies. Human government is dealt with by the same corporate entity that is Christ and the overcomers. But with a different designation and a different emphasis. And that is the stone. A smashing stone. The Lord made it very clear in Matthew. He spoke of himself as the stone that the builders rejected, that God made the head of the corner. If anyone falls on this stone, stumbles and falls on it, that's the Jews, they'll be broken to pieces. If the stone falls on anyone, they'll become powder. The Lord himself is a stone. We need to know him as the stone. And we'll conclude this message with some particular fellowship on this as it relates to us and our becoming part of the corporate stone. If we only had Daniel chapter 2, we might conclude that this stone cut without hands is the Lord Jesus only only. But this understanding does not match the full revelation concerning the Lord's coming. Joel 3.11 says, the mighty ones will descend. Revelation 17 and 19 clearly reveal the Lord is coming with his army composed of overcomers. He will not then separate himself from the entity to which he has joined himself in marriage to be one. He will not separate himself to say, dear, please excuse me, I have to go be the stone. I'll come back. No, the corporate Christ is the stone. It is Christ personally and principally. But this Christ 
is wrought into the being of his overcomers through their experiences of the divine dispensing in the age of the church. The bride, the army, and the stone are all produced during the present age. When we live in the reality of the body, we will live also with the love of the bride, with the fighting spirit of the army, and we will have the weight of the stone. It would be against the principle of life development for the bride to be composed of marshmallows, bunch of chickens who never fought, and then suddenly they become adept at war and have the weight of the stone. That's not going to happen. The same corporate entity will be the body, the bride, the army, the stone, and the mountain. This opens up uh, a clear view into the various dimensions of our present experience. So don't try to systematize this like January and February, there will be body months, and then March through May, there will be bride months. Don't try to systematize it. Uh, the Lord being God knows how to make you a son of God to be the body, how to perfect your love, how to train you in war, how to add the stone element to your being, and how to teach you to live in the reality of the kingdom simultaneously. He's all-inclusive. You have the all-inclusive spirit. Just be simple. Open to him and let him do whatever he wants to do. And he'll do everything, and he'll do all things. Don't try to feel it. Don't try to be aware of it. Just let him work. So the stone is crucial to strike the ten toes. That means it hits Europe. It's not going to hit California. I don't want to be in California. I want to be with the descending army that's coming toward the Middle East and Europe. The last three and a half years will not be a good time to be in Southern California. I don't know what kind of tsunamis there will be in Hawaii. Even the best surfers won't dare to get on those waves. Right? It will be an hour of trial for the whole earth. But it's going to hit the ten toes. The ten toes are the ten kings of the revived Roman Empire. That's in Europe. Now the Lord is not about to just sit back and say, if Europe is going to have such a pathetic end, forget about it. No, the earth is the Lord's. The gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all the nations. 
And Brother Lee has clearly presented the Lord's mind to us in his teaching before these final events take place. The Lord must and will have his testimony throughout Europe. That will be to shame the enemy. Yes, the Lord will allow the Roman Empire to be revived. These ten kings will be manifested. They will give their power to Antichrist. But the Lord will have at the very heart of this territory the testimony of Jesus. Amen. That's why there's such a particular feeling and I would say resolution in the Blended Brothers not to let this go and not to back down from this. And we just have to keep pushing this wheel until it begins to turn. And so we recognize we're, this is not an easy go. And we don't want anyone to have this kind of thought, some kind of adventurous, romantic thought. I'm going to Europe to engage in exploits for the kingdom. That's not the nature of the situation. Neither do you have to be afraid because there'll be resurrection life, the bountiful supply of the all-inclusive spirit, the all-sufficient grace, the heavenly ministry of Christ, the prayer of the body, so you don't have to be afraid. But we need to take this action for the Lord. Now, with, with this somewhat before us, let's read through the outline. And then once I completed that, I have a little fellowship on some practical experience on becoming a stone. I'd like to point out some verses how you can get stonified. Now that you've come to Europe, you immigrants, you're here in the next phase of your, of your training. We'd like you to get stonified in a, in a delightful way. Okay. One, the great human image in Daniel 2 signifying human government is the basic and controlling factor of the entire prophecy of the book of Daniel. I would encourage you as your time allows if between now and the end of the year you could read or reread the life study of Daniel. This will help you very much. Much of what I'm sharing here is from the life study of Daniel. It's only about a hundred pages. I don't want to pile it on, but just suggest that you do it and you consider a way that you can do it. Maybe a few of you will agree to read four or five pages a day for 20 days and you got it. It will be very enlightening. Um... When those messages were first given, and this is usual, Brother Lee knew, and he was forbearing, didn't penetrate that much. 
but with re-readings in the light of the Lord's going on, it begins, the messages begin to penetrate. So it's in the life study of Daniel that Brother Lee tells us God has two main problems, the old creation and human government. The problem of old creation was solved with the Lord's first coming, namely through his death and resurrection. The problem of human government will be solved with his second coming. And the great human image is the basic and controlling factor of the entire prophecy in the book. If this is Brother Lee's, I shouldn't say if, since this is Brother Lee's estimation of the matter, it should become ours gradually. We should get into it in such a way that we have the same realization. He even testifies that vision preserved him for his whole life. It kept him from the world. It's that powerful. So we should not be content with a superficial grasp of this. So as your time allows, please read the life study of Daniel. Roman 2. The goal of God's eternal economy, parenthesis, the goal of the divine history within the human history, is to have the corporate Christ. Christ with his overcomers as the crushing stone to be his dispensational instrument to end this age and become a great mountain, the kingdom of God. But this again uh, comes from the life study of Daniel. Let's look at it. The goal of God's eternal economy, that is the goal of the divine history within the human history. This is what makes this the age of mystery. There is a divine history within the human history. Within the collapse, the history involving the collapse of the Soviet Union, there is a divine history. There is a divine intent. The Lord had chosen a certain number of Russians to be part of the corporate Christ. In keeping with the revelation in Revelation 5, out of every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Amen. God had foreknown and chosen certain Russian-speaking people. And because God had chosen them in eternity past to be part of the corporate Christ, and there's a system of atheism that frustrates this, then I guess the system will have to come down. Amen. Just at the right time. And then the minister of the age will receive the leading and it will be confirmed through fellowship. Let's go to Russia. And the rest is history. You have to realize you're in Europe to make history. The divine history within the human history. If we only pay attention to the human history and how it relates to prophecy, we will be distracted 
from participating in the divine history. I mean it. We are making history with God. We're part of the divine history. You're not going to get in any history book. The world will not pay any attention to you. But when you stand before the Lord, He will know the value of those who made His history within human history. Amen. And the goal is to have the corporate Christ. Christ with His overcomers. And this corporate Christ is the crushing stone. And the crushing stone is the dispensational instrument to end this age. With this before us, I will say with assurance, unless God has this dispensational instrument, the Lord will not come back. Even He cannot come back. There will not be the stone to smash the image. So we need to have this consciousness of the Lord building up the corporate Christ. We're all becoming Christ in life and nature. We're all taking Him as our person. The corporate Christ is the same as the body of Christ. When the Lord has the corporate Christ, He will have the bride, the army, the stone, and the mountain. A, the coming of Christ will be the opening of the eternal kingdom of God. Hence, Christ's coming will be the landmark which closes human government and brings in the eternal kingdom of God. Don't you want to be a part of that? That's a landmark of the ages. You're an active participant in this The closing of human government. Now in your heart, in your being, will you agree with this? Because this involves your government. I have to agree with this. It will be the end of the government in the United States. So be it. Let the kingdom of God come to the USA. Right? Thank the Lord for his history within the human history and the American history part of it. But I'm not here as an American. I'm a citizen with you of another country. And we want that country, the kingdom of God, to deplace every human government. No matter what kind of government it is. Not just totalitarian governments. Democratic governments. Socialist governments. Every political entity. It's going. As far as I'm concerned, it can't happen soon enough. And to bring in the eternal kingdom of God. I don't want to enter into the kingdom of God one day later. That's a thousand years later. Then have you tell me, what was it like? What was it like? Sorry, I, di- I didn't get into the wedding feast. I didn't, I didn't have oil and what, whatever it was. And then, then you give me this testimony of not only the thousand years, but 
of what happened when the image crumbled. <laughs> and what happened at Armageddon when you mighty ones descended. We should not think we're paying, paying some kind of tremendous price. You just consider, consider the reward. You consider what is coming. Whatever the price is, it fades away compared to that. Oh, that hour sweet when bride and bridegroom meet, being in the wedding feast, being in the army, being part of the stone. Wow. What, what a goal for our pursuing. Okay, B, during the church age, Christ is building up the church, the body, to be his bride. See, this equates the building up of the body with the bride. And he will return with his overcoming bride. Actually, the bride is the consummation. The bride governs everything. The bride is inclusive. The new Jerusalem is the bride. So once we become the bride by becoming the built-up body in reality, we are spontaneously and automatically the army, the stone, and the mountain. So the bride with the Lord will be the smiting stone to crush. Okay, so you have to give up your natural softness. We're going to crush it. We're going to smash it. We're going to obliterate it. Okay? Not just tap it a little bit. And those armies, read Revelation 19. You know, read Zechariah. Those armies, they have to be destroyed. If you, if you grew up a pacifist, you don't want to be a pacifist when the Lord is a warrior. That will be the time for war. And this will be the time for smashing. And actually, you know, there's something in us, I admit, that has fallen. That we enjoy smashing stuff. I remember when I was a kid, you build a sand castle, right? I remember one time, a new house is being built behind my house. And so they were, they're digging the basement. You, some of you know what a basement is, you know, if you didn't grow up in California. The land without foundations, right? And so there was a mound of dirt. And we would play there and build up things there. And then we left, but we were suspicious. Some kids from the other block, they were going to come and wreck it. But we caught them because we wanted to have the delight of wrecking it ourselves. <laughs> Well, I'm not talking about some kind of lawless, destructive impulse. <laughs> but part of our carrying out God's judgment will be to smash the image. To obliterate and annihilate this evil instrument of Satan. And this rebellious, corporate rebellious entity against God. And so when the Lord is expressing his feeling that way, we have to be able to express his feeling that way. See, the great human image, okay, uh, 
Yeah, we'll crush the aggregate. B. The smiting stone will crush the aggregate of human government and usher in the age of God's dominion over the entire earth. To usher in. So we not only smite, we usher in. What an honor. See, the great human image will be replaced, amen, with a great mountain, signifying the eternal kingdom of God, which will fill the whole earth. This means that after Christ comes to crush the aggregate of human government, he will usher in the eternal kingdom of God on earth. Three, the central thought of Daniel is that the ruling of the heavens by the God of the heavens over all the human government on earth matches God's eternal economy for Christ to terminate the old creation for the germination of the new creation and to smash and crush the aggregate of human government and establish the eternal kingdom of God. Okay, first we need to see the ruling of the heavens. And you may need to pray over the last few verses of Daniel 4 where Nebuchadnezzar learns the heavens rule. And we need to be governed by this vision The God of the heavens rules over all the human government on the earth. Okay? The God of the heavens rules Iraq. The God of the heavens rules Ahmadinejad in Iran. We must see this. It doesn't take any faith or any vision just to look at the world situation and sigh or or whatever. We need to realize that above it all is the throne of God and the God of the heavens, the heavens rule. And I'm not making a political statement, war or anti-war statement, but as far as I'm concerned, the decision to invade Iraq was made in the heavens. That's why it happened. If you have an argument, argue with the heavens. We need to realize this because it will govern our prayer. The heavens decided the outcome of the French election a few months ago. And the heavens will decide the outcome of the presidential election in 2008. Because of this, I withdraw personally from political involvement and pray for the ruling of the heavens. And if the heavens appoints, you know who I have in mind, if the heavens appoints a woman to be the president, then prior to the coming of the crushing stone, I will say, Madam President. No, I didn't vote for you. I didn't vote for anybody. I voted for God. And if God puts you there for whatever reason, then I will not rebel and I will not revile you. 
Right? It's a shame for God's people out of political loyalties to not accept his sovereign arrangement of human government. How would you like to have Nero as your prime minister? Huh? Enjoy fiddling around in Rome? So we need to have a clear vision that the God of the heavens knows what he's doing. And he knows what kind of Congress the U.S. needs, what kind of court we need, what kind of president we need with the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense to work out the world situation. We'll just have to see. But, you know, I'm not preaching against voting and if you're a card-carrying whatever, then you just be at peace. The point is, you have to see beyond politics to the heavens. The heavens rule. And the rule of the heavens matches the working out of God's economy, which will remove human government and bring in the kingdom. From its beginning to its termination, human government has done and will continue to do three things. Rebel against God, exalt man, and worship idols. Eventually, human government will even fight against God directly. However, Christ, the embodiment of God, will come with his bride to crush the human government. In God's economy, Christ, by his upcoming appearing, will smash and crush the aggregate of human government and establish the eternal kingdom of God. Are you getting impressed that the manifestation of the kingdom of God cannot coexist with human government? This we have to be clear about. C. No, I did C. D. When Christ comes as the smiting stone, he will not come alone. Amen! Christ will come with his bride as his army to be the corporate smiting stone. See how bride, army, and stone are all together? They're one entity. I, I repeat, when the Lord has the body in reality, he will have the other four things that he needs. Bride, army, stone, mountain. Before his coming, Christ will have a wedding, uniting his overcomers to himself as one entity. Daniel 2 speaks of Christ coming as a stone. But Revelation 19 speaks of Christ coming as the one who has his bride, as his army. From this we see that the stone, the bride, and the army are one. Do you see it? The stone, the bride, and the army are one. But they're manifested with different functions in very quick succession. I say again, that is why the focus is on the building up of the body. And the enemy somehow knows if the church is the body of Christ is built up, God will have the dispensational instrument. Amen. And this will be unstoppable. So, we're on a collision course. He, the enemy is determined to stop us. We are determined to press on. So, in God's wisdom, 
no matter what the enemy does, God will use it to build up the body of Christ. Even when we go through certain things, that will release resurrection life, which will build up the body. Two, Christ will deal with the problem of human government by coming with his bride to crush the great human image from the toes to the head. In this way, Christ with his bride will annihilate human government. So please, don't shed tears for the Bill of Rights. Don't shed tears for the 14th Amendment. Don't shed tears for the U.S. Constitution, right? Don't shed tears for the Gettysburg Address. It fulfilled its function. All government is gone. We're kingdom people. Now, now it's theocracy. E, the corporate smiting stone, Christ with his bridal army, will be the great mountain filling the whole earth. We'll cover this this afternoon. If as God's people we see the controlling vision of the image in Daniel 2, we will be kept from the world and prepared for Christ's coming as the smiting stone which will crush the aggregate of human government and become a great mountain the eternal kingdom of God filling the whole earth. Now, just for a few minutes, some fellowship on becoming a stone. Since this should take place in uh, today in the church life, wouldn't you appreciate some help to becoming a stone and let me summarize this way, and it'll give you a clue, many of you a clue, where we'll go. If you want to have the weight of the stone, and even become part of this smiting stone, you need to drink your milk. You need to drink your milk. You need to drink the milk of the Word, and the milk, once it gets into you, will become stone. Okay, 1 Peter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes long for the guileless milk of the Word. It is a blessing to have a longing for the Word. A longing, a, a desire the guileless milk of the word, in order that by it you may grow unto salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. So here we have tasting the Lord by drinking the guileless milk of the word. But then in verse 4, there's a, an amazing change. Coming to him a living stone. How do we come to him? Where is this living stone? Well, he, of course he is. The spirit in our spirit. But when we come to the word. And receive it as milk. And taste the Lord. This needs to be our testimony. We don't have a form of prayer reading. We taste the Lord. 
Not just go through an action, but you taste the Lord. You give this simple testimony. I tasted the Lord this morning. He's so good. I tasted Him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What is the point of having a formal morning revival if you don't taste the Lord? So you drink the milk and you taste the Lord and when you taste the Lord you come to Him as a stone. And first we appreciate Him. He's a living stone. So with this expression before us I have the basis for saying I reject the false choice between being spiritually weighty and dead and being spiritually living and light. So our choice is not, oh, to be a so-called vital living young person without any substance or an older person who barely moves but supposedly has great spiritual weight. We're living stones. I love this combination. He is a living stone. Because he's living with resurrection life, he's vital. Because he's a stone, he's solid and weighty. He rejected by men. So eventually we'll have to learn to experience some rejection without tears of self-pity. Most of Europe is rejecting God, rejecting Christ. They're going to reject His representatives. But the chosen ones will not. But with God, chosen and precious. So let's appreciate Christ as a living stone. Rejected, chosen and precious. You also, you yourselves also, as living stones, now, we're the reproduction of the living stone. He is a living stone. We are the living stones. What's the connection? It's the milk of the word. So next time I see you, I hope you have a milk mustache. And I can say, got milk? Not only got milk, Ron, got stone. Got stone. I believe it. So we're living stones and we're being built up as a spiritual house. This is the corporate entity that's being produced. It's a royal priesthood through offer of spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, where it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a cornerstone chosen and precious. He who believes on him shall by no means be put to shame. To you, therefore, who believe is the preciousness. But to the unbelieving, the stone which the builders rejected, this has become the head of the corner. And the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, who stumble at the word, being disobedient, to which also they were appointed. The crucial matter is that Christ himself is a precious 
God-chosen living stone. Do you know Christ as a stone? The stone Savior? Is your Christ a stone? If you say, really, I haven't considered this, then, then look, now you have the opportunity to appreciate and experience and enjoy another aspect of Christ. Let's give Peter some credit. In Acts 4, he proclaimed the stone. The stone. The Savior is the stone. There is salvation and none other. And this thought stayed with him. We need to become solid, weighty, living stones by drinking the milk of the Word, tasting the Lord, and appreciate Him. Then something will happen metabolically in you that you will gain spiritual weight. Your words may not change much, but when you pray, the Lord, the saints, the enemy will sense weight. Your prayers are weighty before the Lord. When you prophesy, you know, you're not trying to be serious and yet you're not deliberately trying to be deep. But there is weight, there's solidity, there's substance. It will take weight to take Europe. But not only weight, but something living, living stones. So the Lord is very good at blending. Some of you are strong on the living part. Some of you are stronger on the stone part. So the Lord will blend you together so you all become living stones. And so I may come to visit you in your country. Maybe you'll be in Bordeaux. I'll say, oh, Sister Livingstone, I presume. Right? <laughs> Livingstone? And so it, this matter of the corporate smiting stone which is the crucial dispensational instrument, now emerges as something so attainable, so possible. So don't weigh yourself every day. How, how, how weighty am I? Am I a stone? Don't ask the trainers or the co-workers, you know, am, am I gaining weight as a stone? Just drink your milk. Taste the Lord and come to Him Enjoy him in his supreme preciousness. He was rejected by man, but he was chosen by God in resurrection. This stone will make you the same as he is. Then he will build us together. We will be invincible. How about this? Nothing on earth will be able to withstand the weight of of this living, corporate, crushing stone. So the Lord needs this. He has spoken to us about this. He's giving us some direction on how we can become this. So again I say, drink your milk. 
I might have to send you an email to say, are you drinking your milk? Okay, you're in Paris, right? You're still in Paris? Wherever you are, drink your milk, taste the Lord, become a stone. We'll be built up together. We'll bring in the kingdom of God. Plenty of time for you to share things. So, just follow the anointing within. We'll get the microphone to you. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Oh, I love the practical words. I love the Oh, I love Jesus. I'm not very good on all the history and all the books, but anyway, I've gathered everyone and my husband's a stone, but I'm not going to analyze that. I'm just going to desire to know. The last few years, I didn't get my life study, and I really missed it, you know? I realize the Lord is preparing us for Europe. It's only just being here, standing on the local ground, enjoying all of We have to long for this milk. That's not the point. This matter of the Lord um, being sovereign over all the governments, you know. I realize our responsibility is to pray. I got into trouble with my brother, you know. I just had to say a few years ago from Bush got in, oh my goodness, Bush got in, you know. And my brother just said, why did you say that? And I thought, Lord, you know, you get me out of this. <laughs> and I came up with, I said, well, all I know is the churches in England pray, the churches in the Lord's recovery pray all over the earth, and the Lord allowed Bush to get in. And I said, my brother didn't say a word. <laughs> 